It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, today I wanted to talk about live concert Blu-rays and CDs and just general performances and why there's such an affinity for people wanting to see live performances recorded. Now, just recently to know, obviously, um, there's been a lot of fanfare for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert movie and Beyonce's Renaissance Tour uh, concert movie, both in like uh, pulling in big box office numbers and um, going down, like I've seen a few articles on this as well, as like two of the best concert movies of all time, um, which is interesting because, you know, there's not really... There's like a lot and a little at the same time of concert movies. So um, it's it's an interesting one to think of like from a sort of journalist point of view to say that these two are two of the best ones because I suppose it is contextual and obviously these two have grossed massive amounts on the tour and the very hot topics of 2023. But I think as well, when you look at the spec the spectacle of it, like you can go back to stuff like um, Queen live at Wembley. Like that's always been my go-to for an initial, wow, that's an amazing live concert. I wish I could have been there sort of situation. But like when you're saying about the Eras tour, um, the, the technology and the stage show is just leaps and bounds ahead of what was even available for, for bands even 10 years ago. I mean, it's sort of unbelievable when you watch some of these performances to see how far these little things can come, just like the the LED um, stages, the, um, I mean, just the sound quality alone. Yeah, the sound quality is like a big thing because obviously that's, that's like why you're listening, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, when you go back to like live albums in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, sound quality is like a, a fickle thing. It's like, it might sound good. It might sound a little bit like, rough around the edges uh you might hear microphones that are clipped out you might hear things that are like that they can't really get to you like obviously drums in a live context is quite hard to mix you might hear on some live albums in in like yesteryear that well maybe they didn't have any options when it came to turning the snare mic up and yeah. making the kick a little bit punchy it's like well what they got is what they got and that's what like when as a you know tv performance a bonus track on a cd or a full like concert um that went into videos but um yeah there's a lot to go right and a lot to go wrong but like you said the spectacle now of these you know i don't want to say 3d stages because that's not quite doing it justice but when you think about like uh woodstock when they filmed that i mean just just off on a tangent because a lot of people may not know this unless you're like really deep into your like your concert history or your, your rock history. But at the at the first Woodstocks, they couldn't even um, get enough power out the PA system for the people at the back of the audience or even the people maybe halfway down the audience to hear. There was, like, there's a clip of, I, I want to say it's Jethro Tull telling people to um, cup their ears so they can hear further than you would be able to normally. I mean, that's how much the technology's changed. Like, they literally had, like, there was there was using their amps for half the speaker volume, and then the PA just didn't travel. So now, you know, I mean, 
what do you think the limit is on like volume at a at a PA? Like, well, I mean, it hits that dangerous level where you wouldn't be able to have anybody in the front row if they had it loud enough. You'd have to take your distance because, like you say, unless you had like um, noise cancelling headphones on to like dull it down, it would yeah. be like truly, it would be painful on the front row if they had it as loud as they could possibly, you know, like scientifically have it. I mean, we know they can get to like. 130 decibels which is like the threshold of pain basically for human ears and then there's there's some like acoustic effects like everybody soaks it up so it's not perceived as that amount which is why they'll put it on so loud but um you know it makes you wonder like how loud could they actually go if if you know if the people went like the uh the problem, if you know what I mean, Mark. If we yeah, yeah, if we could yeah. hear up to two hundred decibels, would they be able to just crank it to two hundred decibels? Because the the they seem to be limitless, is what I mean. Well, and that's like the the technology side. Like when you look at say like Woodstock, and they've got like that tiny stage. I mean, it's a big stage, but it's it's still a tiny big stage. And they've just got like a few speaker cabs and a few amps on stage. And then you look at say the sphere where the entire venue is just coated in speakers that do you know like dolby atmos like panning and every like they said uh, every single seat in the sphere they have the option to pan different things in different directions depending on where you sat and it's like it's mind-blowing to see how far like if, if the spheres say your 2023 auditorium and you're looking at like what they used for live concerts even like 50 years ago never mind like for the baroque era and stuff which was just a nice town hall it is crazy to think about what it's going to look like in another 10 years because like when coldplay debuted their led wristbands on um the milers lotto tour um that was like revolutionary and they said this is going to be cutting edge coldplay of like invested a lot of money into the technology and those are the sort of things that you see more and more people using particularly in a arena um sort of venue capacity but i would say as well with this cutting edge like the bleeding edge of tech for concerts it does take a couple of years for it to um actually translate to even other humongous artists doesn't it like it wasn't like overnight that everybody had these wristbands it's been a very slow rollout but you started to see them in in really huge tours haven't you yeah it's like one of those it's like almost to say this isn't just any tour, this is a big tour when you see the LED yeah. wristbands. It's like, a, it almost signifies that this is a, you know, one of the biggest tours of the year. Because I suppose it will cost a lot of money for the artists to front that bill, to yeah. get them all made, to give them out, to know that X amount of them may go missing, even though they won't work. People definitely will try and take them home, even though they shouldn't. Yeah, I imagine um, there's at least a... 20 to 40 percent loss on them of people just be like and obviously some people might break theirs some people might spill water it's just it'll be an expensive endeavor but obviously if you're filming it and making a movie out of it say like the era's tall co-player anybody doing it to this level typically are filming some kind of blu-ray or concert or even live stream say for their own audience on youtube or netflix it's one of those things where visually on camera, the LED wristbands do a lot of lifting for oh, yeah. the the spectacle of watching it, in, at, say, at home. Because it's just more colour, more information going on for whoever's sat watching. Same for people in the venue as well. 
Yeah. It's the same effect as everybody putting their phone torch on, uh, except it's RGB all night, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, you could do very clever things with it. Like when we went to see Coplay, they they had um, it forming into hearts, didn't they? Yeah, they did, on yeah. On human heart and, and all sorts. And then it whips around the venue sometimes and different patches go different colours. And the, the, the actual like map inside of that must be really, really interesting to see how it, how it works. But... Um, Going back to you too, I mean, the songs, I mean, all of their concerts are always fantastic. And I would heavily imagine that the Sphere will be debuted in some sort of concert film at some point. To, to It'd some be a shame medium. if they didn't, because that's almost why they've got it, isn't it? To, to film it. <laughs> well, that I mean, if you just look at you two, they've put out so many, even in the past 10, 15 years, they've put out tons and tons of concert films. I mean, even for like say on the YouTube or for YouTube, um, for YouTube.com subscribers, there's a lot of them as well. So I do think we'll see that. And I would love to see that personally, but going to one of their other ones, the, um, Innocence and Experience Tour is such a good stage spectacle because they literally get into the screen and the screen's like coming down onto the stage and going up and it's it's like long ways, which is really, like when we're talking about stage design, you know, it's very unusual for people to say, we, we're going to have the uh, sort of visual element going long ways down the Like catwalk. a wall <laughs> that splits the crowd in half as well. Yeah, but you can get in there and then they can interact with the show as well. And, and I thought that was just a really, really bizarre, but really, really interesting and um, captivating way of doing it. And the thing is that's so cool about, say, um, concerts in general, not even if they're not filmed or anything, is is like just stage design. And it's something that a lot of people don't even think about um, is stage design. Even if you just have a few park hands, um you know, strewn about the place. But I mean, like we watched the Walk the Moon um, final concert uh, live stream, which is on YouTube for free for anybody to watch. And this is sort of a much more intimate venue, but just the few lights they have, and then they've got all these like um, LED sticks that are in like a, a very deliberate, unorganized pattern around. Even that, it, it does so much for the performance. And you just, you know, every stage show sort of has, it's almost like an album cover live is the yeah. stage show. That, that's the easiest way I can describe it. It gives each tour, never mind every band, it gives each tour like an identity um, visually. And that's one of the things that I think is so cool about the current state of like tour design. And obviously the biggest bands, they get like LED walls, LED floors, lights everywhere anything you can think of and that that's what really gives all the live shows like a visual identity because obviously music is only audio yeah they could go up and just have nothing but obviously this is like the the spectacle side of live performance yeah and even with the walk the moon thing like you're saying like the difference between a like massive stadium tour and like a more club uh, um hall size tour I mean, just the fact that they can get all the instruments recorded in perfect fidelity and, like, everything filmed in, like, 4K or high quality, and then they can have all these little stage tricks and it's all, like, mapped and synced together really well. I mean, this is stuff that just didn't happen, like, in the 90s, in these sort of venues. Like, you hear live albums by some of the intermediate bands, and they sound so ropey because, yeah. you know, they just didn't have the tech to do it. So I think we're living in a really, really great golden age where 
any gig can be preserved for that band's audience or just for archival purposes. And that's a really exciting thing because I think live music is something that's really difficult to translate to people who don't go see these bands live. I mean, even people like Taylor Swift, there will be a large portion of people, you know, who um, don't really listen to anything but a couple of singles that are on radio because they're on. And when you watch like a full length performance by any of these artists, you get a lot grander sense of, what it is they're trying to do, you know, and what they're trying to sort of be perceived as and what they're trying to show to their audience. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the bands will be like typecast before they even, you know, before anybody even sees what they're doing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like, um, particularly like Queen and Adam Lambert, they're, they're sort of known for doing the hits, but now they've sort of, in the last few tours, they're, they're sort of really branching out and doing different things. With yeah. the back catalogue that they never had the chance. I mean, with Queen, it's quite an interesting situation because since they've come back with Adam Lambert, they've got like half their catalogue of hits. They never perform live and there's not many sort of artists where they can come to do a tour. And it's like, yeah, we've got five albums or so where we never toured any of the singles live. I mean, that's what Taylor Swift joked about in the era's tour, but that's because she's put them out in such a very condensed amount of time and some of them are remasters uh, sorry not remasters but remakes and stuff so it's like it's not quite the same as having five full new albums but like with queen um they have songs like i want it all and one vision and stuff that they never performed live that they have the luxury of performing live um now with adam lambert but now they're sort of taking more deep cuts uh with both the show and what they're doing like when they did news of the world's 40th anniversary they could just focus on that album and have a lot of fun with it yeah um i know freddie did tour that album uh for context but um and then they've just done uh, machines or back to humans which has been a really interesting idea because with all of the ai stuff at the moment that song you know to think that song was made in um like 83 84 and um the the lyrics are just so relevant to sort of present day discussions. I'm not surprised that they thought we'll tackle this for a, a tour, you know. And as you say, it makes it interesting because they can't just tour the same the record. same greatest hits record. They can't. They've been doing it like ten on like they'll be getting on for like twenty years of doing this. They've been doing it ages. I mean Yeah, if they did um if they did the Paul Rogers tour in like 2005 to 2000 and somewhere around that late, yeah, mid, I think that sounds mid to late 2000s. Yeah. Then yeah, they have been doing it for like 16, 17 years. Haven't they just going around doing the same greatest hits? And if they've not released any new material, it's like, how do you keep that interesting? Um, I, I know a lot of bands do go around doing the greatest hits and that's fine because arguably you will never get to 100% of your audience anyway. But, you know, you want to keep it interesting for yourself. You can't just go out playing the exact same set every night for like 10 years. I'm sure most bands couldn't do it for a full year straight because they'd be, well, no, actually that's not fair because a lot of tours you are limited by your light show and everything. So you have to play the um, same set list to a, to a certain degree unless you have a slot for like variables or stuff like that. I think the smaller bands have to, well, the small, I suppose if you're really small, you have the luxury of it not mattering what you're playing because the light show isn't that dynamic. And then you sort of do this, like uh, this curve where 
as everything gets strapped to what you're playing, you have you, you might be constrained by your budget to say, well, we couldn't afford to pay the lighting designers to do every single song. It's not just the lighting, it's it's the, um, when you have the LED backdrop yeah, and you've yeah, got yeah. video for yeah, every song, yeah. that's when I think the crunch of the budget really becomes yeah, a thing. And then obviously you get to, to like the top level artists where they can afford to do like 40 to 60 songs and have them tucked away just in case they feel like bringing them out, you know, because the money isn't an issue. But like I say, it's the, the bands in the middle where there's enough of a light show that they need all of the, the bells and whistles, but then also where they might not necessarily want to pay out for all this unnecessary stuff if they're only planning to use it once or twice on the tour. And I think on a small scale, the LED walls are very uncommon. Like they, they only start popping up for... um arenas and bigger sizes which does surprise me slightly because the thing with an led wall is i know they're like what something crazy like six seven thousand a panel or something is it am i getting that right or am i way off um i think a lot of them will rent them so it's it depends how much it costs to rent the show yeah that's true because i i I believe um a lot of the the concert sort of like the speakers, the the tech and all that is is like more on a rental basis because obviously people don't want them permanently. They only need them for a year or so so they can just rent what they need. Yeah, but but I am surprised that the LED walls don't pop up in a lot of more small venues because you'd think you get a smaller wall, it looks amazing, but I know like costs and financing and stuff like that and set up, I mean... You see it on a couple of tours where, you know, they'll lose a panel or they'll lose like a, a full part of the LED wall if the the mapping sort of doesn't work for some reason. And there is a lot of technical difficulties still in present day touring, but I think they get quite good at um, trying to make it past them by, you know, diverting your attention a lot of the time. The other thing... Um, that makes the concert tour so interesting now is the amount that they can play with like um, the perceived live show. You know, obviously lots of bands play to clicks, they play to backing tracks, some of them mine, but obviously we're talking about the the minority. I would believe the minority. Um, What you tend to see is a hybrid approach where the band are playing to click slash like... um, uh, a sort of like a, a time code of the full show. And then they have elements that they're playing, elements that are on the backing tracks in the time code, sort of with the with the full stage show and music all time synced together so it never goes out of time. So you get like this hybrid approach of all the best parts of seeing a band perform live with all the um, sugar coating of having backing vocals, backing tracks, and sort of atmosphere on the tracks, which makes them, particularly in between songs, there can be a lot more like uh, theatrical with it because the band can be running across the stage and instead of hearing nothing, you hear this big swell coming up to the next song or you hear like um, maybe like some kind of uh, speech snippet over a bed of music to just keep you switched on when you're in the audience or when you're watching it on TV. There's sort of a lot of clever trickery where you see, like, you never get a chance to, you like, look at your phone almost. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I think that's one of the best parts about, especially when they're making it into a concert film, you know, they can really create a, 
a theatrical experience. And um, if we use Muse as like an example for this theatrical experience, just because we haven't talked about Muse yet, it's a bit different and interesting. Like they use like quite a dystopian sort of world that they build in their music, like narratively. And um, they can really translate that. Like on the drones tour, they had just drones flying around, but they look like, you know, they're meant to look like, you know, military war. drones. Yeah, military yeah. drones, war sort of drones. And, you know, on simulation theory, they had the full thing set up for like, um, with like a synthwave 80s tinge to it and like a retro video tinge. And you can really like go in on that with like the background music, as you say, in between songs yeah, yeah. and, and little breaks. So say if they have to do like a costume change or an instrument change or something, something that takes like a minute or so, they can have like a big, crazy, like, narrative portion of the show play on the screen and like try and build like um more like they can build a story with the actual stage show so like as it's progressing you feel like there's a story that's actually progressing with you for the stage show and it's not just a band playing a bunch of songs in a row you know it's a narrative in itself which is super interesting in terms of like a concert experience i mean you the only other comparative i can think of to that in terms of the pre-sort of 2000s music. Well, maybe not pre-2000s, but, you know, going back to classic rock is bands like Genesis doing all their costume changes with Peter Gabriel and, you know, stuff like that, you know, coming on like sunflower hats and, like, the costumes. Yeah, trying to go for that almost, um, like, musical theatre approach almost. Um yeah. Like yeah. acting out the songs as well, like literally being just the people on the stage trying to act the narrative out. It's very difficult to do without all the bells and whistles, but I suppose it, it ends up being much more like a, a one-man stage show when it's just you in a costume and the band playing. Uh, say like in that Genesis um, prog era. Um, but then again, just a few costumes. I mean, this is why I made and have Eddie running around um, pretending to... Like, uh, well, depending on which Eddie it is, I suppose, he, he could have a gun, he could not have a gun, he could have a sword. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say pretending to shoot everybody with, like, the laser gun, but then I thought, well, I mean, there's so many Eddies. He goes with every album, and then that also, like, if you're an Iron Maiden fan, if you see a clip and one of the Eddies run out on stage and go, is the Eddie from that album or the Eddie from this album? And yeah. It, it, it sort of gives the band an identity, um, which is why a lot of them have mascots um, like that anyway. But, you know, it's really fun. And that just, it gets an immediate reaction and response from the crowd. Anybody yeah. who can see Eddie running about, because he's like 18 foot tall now, probably more yeah. like 12 foot tall or seven foot tall. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the just... simple things though. When you're in the crowd that, that you know, gets a reaction. It's like on the era's tour where Taylor Swift dives into the stage and people just freak out, especially if they haven't seen the clips of it online because it's so unexpected, you know. It's almost the same as like a, a cruder version of that. It's like on the uh, Peter Gabriel um, Live in Athens one, where on, I can't remember which song it is, you might remember the song when I start describing it, where he's battling the actual oh, lightning yeah, yeah. rig because yeah. it looks like it's trying to like hit him like as machinery, like like a weapon. I feel like it's Games Without Frontiers, but yeah. I can't say with any certainty um, looking at like the track listing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's even just having little bits of choreography because that Live in Athens one is a really good stage show. If anybody who likes sort of rock concerts hasn't seen that, it's a, it's a really 
it's a really cool sort of dynamic of like rock and then pop in the 80s but um and they must have filmed it on perfectly preserved tape because it is damn 4k i don't like, know how they've done it even on songs like shock the monkey it's the way all the band for the peter gabriel performance they're all jumping in sync they're all moving in sync they may not have dance choreography but they are they are organized in the way they're presenting the songs like it starts with all five of them in a line playing these very futuristic looking instruments and um that does a lot for a stage show because there's movement it's not like everybody's in their little performance box just staying there for three hours when when the band and this is why you have like the acoustic set that that they all come to the front of the stage for uh in you know you've seen it as a trend in the last sort of four or five years with um with almost every big band is they will have an acoustic section I mean, even walk the moon I was had an acoustic this, section yeah. and the drum kit was set up no joke about one foot in front of the drum kit behind it but it still gives the the impression to the audience that the drummer has come out from behind the drum kit and has come to the front of the stage it's but, still like trying to say look this is a section of the show where it's more intimate and we're more you know more live than we are with the big show because i think everybody sort of knows now what the bigger the show is the more you are sort of trapped in a way as a musician, you know. Whereas it's like when when Coldplay do it, they they can just play a song with no anything and barely even lights. Uh, if you know what I mean, like when they do their acoustic thing, they can just improvise a song, and it's it really is back down to them as a as a band unit. But the thing with the show is, as good as it looks, it's like a compromise in terms of actual performance and artistry because you you have to play by the rules of the setup and as, as everybody knows with technology you know you can't just ignore the technology yeah and the other thing i really liked about the music of the spheres tour which we was fortunate enough to go see in wembley is when they just did that random alien radio bit where they all came out in alien heads like very genesis style yeah, yeah. and um they, it was just like a sort of one of the instrumental backing tracks from Music of the Spheres going off. Oh, no, it, wasn't even, it was like a, a special remix that, that I wasn't think they mashed three compositions together. And there was just like dancing around, which was just a really fun break in the middle of the set. I really yeah. enjoyed it. I know like if you maybe like a, an, a, a hard first <laughs> three albums, Coldplay fan, you wouldn't have enjoyed it. But I really like what Coldplay doing like um, sonically and thematically. And I just thought that was such a fun element to the live show because now a lot of the bands who don't have like a, a rave track will occasionally use like a remix or something to give that moment. If they don't have that moment, well, I know Par uh, Paradise's Tiesto remix by yeah. Coldplay, they utilised a lot just to give you like a um, dance moment and, and like a, a, a relief of, of excitement. Everybody can jump up and down like it's like a rave. That's really fun for the bands to have because it's a way to let everybody just get excited without sort of doing like... Um, mid-tempo songs all the time and on another tangent again just there's a lot where the build buildings there was a building um like the folklore studio on the era's tour the yeah. swift one on the 1975's most recent tour at the very best there's been like a, a structure that they've all been playing in and it's like matt healy got onto the top of it uh to do i like america and america likes me and even Kaiser Chiefs, when we went to see them, they got on top of a like a structure that they'd built, like a yeah, yeah. I can't even think about how to describe what they'd built. It they was built meant like to look a like a little house, or yeah. 
Uh, but he, they, they all stood on top of that for the encore, didn't they? So instead yeah. of going off the stage... They were sat on a table on the roof looking at the full crowd, wasn't they? Like sipping drinks and stuff. And I thought that was a really funny way to be like, you know... Because I think the encore as well, it's it's completely different now. It used to be people would go off and like they said on a Sonic Iris, they try and smoke an entire cigarette before... <laughs> They, yeah, they, they were trying on. to wait as long as possible, wasn't they? Whereas now I think you just have like a, a one minute breather before they come back on because I think everybody knows now they're wasting their own time and the audience's time and the venue's time Yeah, most of the time. And it doesn't actually serve much of a purpose to cut out what could be two minutes more music for the crowd well, that they've some, all paid for. for in tickets. some circumstances, it was like 10 do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I think back in the day, you used to have to wait like a long time for the encore. And I think there's some smaller gigs. I feel like when we went to see Robert Plant, that encore rumble was like ages trying yeah. to get him to come back out, you know, because he's quite old school. So um, I think now, you know, some of the bands are just like, oh yeah, this we'll is the part it. where there would have been an encore, but instead you're going to get two more songs. And people love that a lot more, I think, because as you say, it's like a waste of your time. It's like you've paid like say ninety quid to see this band, and like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go away for like ninety minutes, and I think uh, not ninety minutes, sorry, like um, two minutes, uh, three minutes. But I think um, even the bands that used to do that have started to not do that because it's it's sort of gone out of favour. Really, it's not cool anymore to go yeah. off stage for like ten minutes for an encore. And thematically speaking of encores, this is bringing us to the end of the podcast. And this has been our discussion on live sort of recorded music. Obviously, all of this is the same in the venue when you're actually seeing it live. But I do think there's something very nice about seeing a CD or Blu-ray or live stream of said concert because you can just experience it in a different way. I think the, there's an there's a different art form to trying to sell a concert tour and um to even be in there because again when you're there there's an initial excitement in the room it, it's a slightly different sort of set of chemistry at play when you're at home you can't just rely on the loud volume and the atmosphere you have to present you know like a, a concert experience to somebody who sat in the living room and that's why i think some of them particularly like the newest ones i mean we didn't even talk about imagine dragons is one which was also fantastic yeah yeah but that's why I think we're, let's, let's coin it as we're living in like a golden age of these concert films, when they can be bothered to put them out. Yeah, yeah. If anything, we just need, we need more of it. Yeah, like anything. So let us know what your favourite concert film is in the comments and polls below. And thank you for listening. <laughs>